Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's safety talk. I will tell you, I am very excited for today's presentation. I have known Tim for some time now. I have worked with him at National Interstate Insurance uh, and through consulting uh, with the Ohio BWC. He has an amazing team and they do great work here in the United States, not only in Ohio, but across the U.S. Tim Brewster is the Director of Loss Prevention and Recovery at National Interstate Insurance. National Interstate Insurance is a leading specialty property and insurance company headquartered right here in Richfield, Ohio. Tim's responsibilities include leading and training loss prevention specialists, developing safety resources, and working alongside the transportation customers to ensure safety impact bottom line results. Tim has over nine years of experience in the transportation industry, holding a variety of roles. He has experience as a claims adjuster, safety consultant, and as a local law enforcement officer. Tim holds an undergraduate degree in criminal justice from Kent State University right here in Northeast Ohio, a master's in business administration from Baldwin Wallace, and has his associates in risk management ARM designation through the Institute. Uh, Thank you, Tim, for being here. I'm very excited for this presentation. The floor is yours, sir. Absolutely, Nick. Thank you for the warm welcome. Well, to begin, I'd like to thank all attendees for being here today because it shows me your commitment to your employee safety and safety of the general public. Uh, I know I only have 30 minutes, so I condense this presentation to the best of my ability. And the concepts, ideas, and programs we're going to discuss today can apply to any carrier out there, whether it's a nursing home, a gas station, a retail store. If you have employees operating vehicles under your authority, the ideas we're going to discuss can apply to them. I have two objectives today. One is to increase awareness for the importance of fleet safety programs, but also to educate the audience on things that you can implement to reduce the likelihood of loss. And I ask you, you know, keep an open mind as we go throughout this presentation and challenge yourself to find two or three key takeaways, things that you can take and apply at your organization to improve your overall programs. Some of the ideas we're going to talk about, you may already have implemented. Some of the ideas you may not find overly reasonable. But challenge yourself, find two or three things that you can apply after today's presentation to make it a safer environment for all of your employees. I'm going to start out quickly by just providing a quick disclaimer that this presentation is for informational purposes only. And that is all I have. If you'd like to reference the disclaimer at a later point, you're more than welcome to. So to start, I pulled statistics from OSTATS and looked at several years of vehicle accidents across the state of Ohio and throughout Portage County. So we have two full years, that's 2019 and 2020, and then we have 2021 statistics, which is through mid-May. So you can see in 2019, throughout the state of Ohio, we had approximately 300,000 accidents, which is equivalent to 800 accidents a day. That's a lot. In 2020 and 2021, you can see we've seen a decrease, and we can all probably agree that's attributed to COVID. There were fewer vehicles on the road throughout 2020, and there are still fewer vehicles on the road throughout 2021 because many are working from home. If we look at Portage County crash statistics, in 2019, there were 3,600. So on average, that's right around eight to nine accidents a day. Yes, we've seen a decrease similar to the state, but I always challenge people to think about Think, think about your fleet in general, the vehicles you have operating on a day-to-day basis. If you do not have many accidents, what do you attribute it to? 
if you can't attribute good performance to something, it's likely not sustainable. On the flip side, if you've had more accidents than you would anticipate, why are you having accidents? Do you have poor hiring criteria? Do you not have strong training programs? Do you lack policies and procedures? So ask yourself that as we go through this presentation. If you perform well and you have very few accidents, why? If you don't perform as well as you would have liked to, also, why? And I'm sure many of the concepts and ideas we're going to discuss throughout today's presentation can make your organization a safer carrier. So why should you want to develop an effective safety program? The most important thing is you have a duty and you should want to ensure the well-being of your employees. Now, unfortunately, there are thousands of employees on an annual basis that go into work and they never return at night to their families. And we want to do everything we can to ensure the safety of our employees and the safety of the general public. Cost is important when it comes to operating a business. Bottom line results are extremely important and we're always looking at profit margins. Well, the more accidents you have, the higher likelihood your insurance premiums are going to continue to increase. But also think about inflation. The cost to repair a vehicle, the cost to replace a vehicle is rising at a rapid rate. So the more accidents means we're going to have poor bottom line results. And those are only the direct costs associated with a loss. Think about all of the indirect, indirect costs, such as if you have a vehicle down for 30 days, if you have to hire someone new, if you have to train someone new, there's a cost associated with every little aspect of an accident. So anything we can do to prevent an accident means more money in the pockets of your company. Reputation. Every one of you probably have company logos or company names on your vehicles, which means you are a billboard going down the road. The last thing we want to do is be involved in a loss, even if we're not at fault, because the media will still publicize it and it's going to look poor from a reputation standpoint. It may tarnish, tarnish your reputation. So we do not want there to be accidents because with social media nowadays, information spreads fast. And defensibility, it's an extremely, extremely litigious society nowadays. Plaintiff attorneys know that you have higher insurance limits than the general public and that you have assets. So you're a target. So anything we can do to make your program defensible is a win at the end of the day. We want to make you as defensible as possible. And this all boils down to controlling your outcomes. The more programs you have in place that are effective, the more likely you are going to be able to ensure the well-being of your employees. You're going to be able to control costs. You're going to have a better reputation and your program is going to be defensible. And I could go on for hours for why you should implement one, but these are just three or four of the top ones that I thought of when putting this presentation together. Now, you know, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to safety programs, but a lot of the concepts and ideas we're going to discuss throughout today's presentation can be applied to your organization. But to have the most effective safety management program in place, it needs to be specific to your operation, to the hazards, to the employees, to the vehicles, to just the operational model you have. And you can identify what types of controls you should have in place by one, conducting a self-audit on your program, leveraging your insurance company's loss prevention consultant to come out and review your program to identify gaps, or you can hire a professional safety consultant to help you better understand what hazards are specific to your operation and what controls should be put in place. So just remember, purchasing a safety program from a third party and just plug and play, it's not gonna be nearly as effective as you implementing a program that is specific to your operation. 
So the first thing we're going to talk about is hiring and qualifications. So every company should have hiring criteria in place that outlines what they want a candidate to have. And what I mean by that is, you know, you should want someone to have several years of applicable experience operating a similar type vehicle. You shouldn't want to hire someone that has had multiple moving violations over the past 12, 24, or 36 months. So set your up, set yourself up for success and develop hiring criteria and follow it consistently because you want to try to hire the best of the best because accidents are costly and you want to do everything you can to avoid an accident from happening. So not only should you have this hiring criteria up front, but your employees should be required to maintain those qualifications throughout the lifetime of employment. And what I mean by that is if you won't allow someone to have an OBI within the past couple of years from a hiring perspective, if someone receives one while employed by your company, it's probably a liability if they continue to operate one of your vehicles. And it goes back to that point I made earlier. You want to make sure your program is as defensible as possible. And not enforcing things consistently results in lack of defensibility. So if you do create hiring criteria, which I encourage you to do, make sure you follow it on every new hire and make sure those employees are maintaining those qualifications throughout the lifetime of employment. So if you have hiring criteria in place that states a new hire can't have more than one moving violation within the past 12 months or two moving violations within the past 12 months, the only way to verify that is by obtaining a pre-employment motor vehicle record report. Prior to someone operating one of your vehicles, you should review their driving history. As we all know, past behaviors typically predict future actions, and we hire our successes and we hire our failures. So you should be pulling a motor vehicle record report to ensure that they meet your hiring criteria. And similar to the comment I made earlier, you should be monitoring their motor vehicle record report on an ongoing basis. I encourage every company to pull a motor vehicle record report at least on an annual basis because a lot changes over time. And if you don't want to manually go and pull a motor vehicle record report on an annual basis, there are there are many services out there that'll monitor motor vehicle record reports and they'll send you information anytime there's an adverse change to a driving record. That's the best process to have in place because you don't have to worry about manually pulling it and waiting until that 12 month mark to understand if someone meets your criteria. It's automatically sent to you anytime there's an adverse change. So as Nick mentioned, we insure a lot of commercial motor vehicle companies, which are regulated by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. And if you're regulated by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, you're required to have a drug and alcohol program in place. Well, we have a lot of insureds that are also not commercial motor vehicle companies, which they're not regulated. But we still encourage them. You should have a drug and alcohol program in place. You should have a policy in place that outlines pre-employment testing is going to take place random testing, post-accident, and reasonable suspicion. We don't want to hire someone that's using illegal drugs, and we want to test them throughout their lifetime of employment, whether it's monthly or quarterly, to verify that they didn't begin using something after they became employed. There was an interesting statistic I stumbled across a couple weeks ago, and it says, according to the 2013 National Survey on Drug Use and Health, the majority of illicit drug users and binge or heavy alcohol users are employed somewhere, either full-time or part-time. And typically, we give people the benefit of that. We think, you know, our employees aren't util utilizing drugs or they're not binge drinking. Well, unfortunately, it happens and they 
I apologize. It happens. And the reason being is they can't afford those habits without having employment. So please put a drug and alcohol program in place that's from cradle to grave, from pre-employment all the way to post-accident testing. And lastly, you should train your supervisors in reasonable suspicion, meaning they know how to detect if someone may be under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Verification of past employment. This is probably a little more applicable to companies that have drivers operating vehicles on a regular basis in the scope of employment. But as I'd mentioned earlier, typically you want to have hiring criteria where someone has very similar experience. Well, if someone tells me they've got two years of experience operating a box truck or a minibus, we should verify that by contacting that past employer because without verification, we don't know for sure if they truly have the experience that they're putting on their application. So verifying past experience is an important part of controlling your outcomes during the hiring process. Road test is important as well. Um, you know, you may have hiring criteria. They may meet that hiring criteria. You may verify that they do have past experience, but I encourage everyone, conduct a road test. You know, have a fixed route that you go out with a new hire on for 10 or 15 miles so you can identify what types of behaviors they exhibit. You know, do they have appropriate following distance? Are they scanning their mirrors every five to eight seconds? Are they so captivated captivated by the conversation you're having that they're not paying attention to the roadway? You know, these are things you want to identify through a road test because one, it's going to tell you whether or not you want to hire the individual that's going to be operating one of your vehicles. Secondly, if you decide you do want to hire them, maybe you've identified some coaching opportunities and you'll provide additional training during that onboarding process to ensure they know how to operate successfully. So if you can, conduct a road test as part of the pre-employment process. And then physical exams. You know, we recommend that you send someone to obtain a physical so you can ensure that they're fit for duty, that they can perform those job functions successfully. And what a lot of carriers do is they require one for pre-employment purposes. And then from an ongoing qualification standpoint, they require a physical maybe every 12 or 24 months, whatever the physician's recommendation is. So you want to ensure that they're physically qualified to perform the job functions that they are being hired we're gonna jump into the second component, which is safety policies. Safety policies and procedures support your culture. They are the thing that can set employees up for success. It provides the clarity into what is acceptable behavior, what is non-acceptable behavior. And if it's non-acceptable and they fail to abide, what are the repercussions? So I encourage every company to have safety policies and procedures in place that provide employees the guidance to perform their job successfully and safely. If you do not have policies in place, everyone is going to be doing something a little different. They're not going to be rowing in the same direction. And it can be something as simple as you have a policy in place that tells employees you're required to wear a seatbelt or you're not allowed to use a mobile phone device while operating a vehicle. Well, if you don't have those policies that set expectations, I guarantee you, you're going to have inconsistency from what employees are doing out there in the field. And similar to a safety program, policy should be specific to your company's needs. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the past, you know, nine years, I've went in and conducted a safety assessment for a customer and they show me this big policy manual that's two or 300 pages long that they purchased offline. Well, 50% of it's not applicable 
And less is more sometimes when it comes to policies. If we have two or 300 pages worth of policies, no one's likely to know that manual inside and out. So make sure that the policies are specific to your organization. Employees are trained on them initially upon hire and on an ongoing basis. And most importantly, ensure that they're enforced consistently because lack of consistently enforcing your policies results in liability where your program is less defensible if there is a motor vehicle accident. And some samples of policies that we encourage customers to have is one, that they're required to wear a seatbelt. Two, that they're not allowed to use a mobile phone while operating the vehicle. Three, they're not allowed to speed. They need to abide by all speed limits and adjust their speed based off of road conditions. So again, set your employees up for success, let them know what you expect of them and revisit those policies regularly. So investigations. Unfortunately, accidents happen even if you have all the controls in place that a carrier should have in place. We need to be prepared for if an accident does happen. And the one nice thing about accidents, if there's anything nice to say, is it gives you an opportunity to learn what could have we done differently? What type of preventative measure can we put in place to prevent a reoccurrence from happening or do everything within our ability to decrease the likelihood? So you should have one individual or multiple individuals that are responsible for conducting accident investigations within your organization so they can collect information and try to identify what preventative measures should be put in place. But you should train all employees on what to do in the event of an accident. There should be an accident kit in that vehicle because when you're involved in an accident, it's typically a fairly stressful situation and your brain's all scattered. You don't know necessarily what to do. So put an accident kit in the vehicle, train employees on what to do in the event of an accident. And if they're involved in an accident and they call you, you can always refer them back to that accident kit. So training, this is something I'm uh, very passionate about because sometimes there's a lack of strong formalized training programs across all industries. And training, training to an extent, training to an extent is the foundation for everything else. So first and foremost, orientation training. Now, I hear all the time, well, I hired someone that has 20 years of experience. I don't need to put them through orientation training. That doesn't mean it's 20 years of good habits, and it doesn't mean it's 20 years of experience that meets your standards as an organization. They are you know, your responsibility. They can create liability for you. They can tarnish your rep reputation. So every new hire should go through training initially upon hire. And I could talk about 15 different topics they should be trained on. But the most important topic, if someone is operating a vehicle, is defensive driving. Train them on how to operate defensively. There are so many distracted drivers out there. It's a matter of time before someone's going to be involved in an accident. And they may not be at fault. But the question is, could have they prevented that accident if they were driving defensively? So defensive driving is the number one recommendation I have for everyone initially upon hire. If you want to go above and beyond, which I encourage you to do, I ask everyone, do classroom training. Classroom training is where you train them and they learn the skill sets they need to have to be successful. But after classroom training, which should be competency-based, they should test out of topics, transition into behind-the-wheel training or on-the-job training. This really shows you, does that new hire know how to consistently apply what they taught in the classroom? An example would be, Say we have classroom training on defensive driving that talks about, you know, aiming high, scanning mirrors every five to eight seconds, leaving appropriate falling distance. 
Well, if you get out there and conduct behind the wheel training and they're not applying any of those techniques, were we really successful? Probably not. So train on, train in the classroom, and then try to do some behind the wheel training if you can. And lastly, document everything. Uh, without documentation, it never happened. And this goes back to that defensibility item I talked about earlier. If you're involved in a bad loss, you want to be able to provide as much supporting documentation as you can to show your due diligence that you try to set that employee up for success. So document all training efforts. Ongoing training should happen throughout the calendar year. If you think about it from a professional development standpoint, we typically attend webinars or we attend courses on emotional intelligence, resilient leadership. It's no different for people operating vehicles. They should go through training, whether it's monthly, quarterly, biannual, because we all have skill sets that diminish over time. We become complacent. So anything you can do to combat that complacency is going to be a win. Uh, we have customers where drivers complete online training courses. They provide safety handouts with quizzes. They may bring them together on a quarterly basis for a safety meeting to run through a few topics and make the training specific to your organization. Develop a training matrix, that, training matrix that captures what topics should be trained on on an annual basis. For example, you know November's coming up. That means winter driving is going to be in play. So train people on adverse weather conditions. Maybe in the spring, you're going to train individuals on construction zones because they're more prevalent. Um, you may be training employees on a quarterly basis on trends you're seeing within your organization. The biggest thing is try to provide training on an ongoing basis because it's going to result in a more successful program. Again, jump back. In remedial training, you know, say there's an incident or say there's an accident, you should place that individual through remedial training to correct that unsafe behavior and help them better understand what could have they done differently to avoid that accident. So anytime you can place an individual through remedial training, or coaching, please do so because it's going to set them up for success in the future. So an effective vehicle maintenance program. Everyone should have a goal of having safe and reliable equipment on the road. We don't want to put equipment on the road that is unsafe, that's likely to result in a mechanical failure. So we should all have a vehicle maintenance program in place that ensures our vehicles are as safe as possible. So there should be a preventative schedule that identifies how often a vehicle is going to plate be placed in the service, how often it needs to go to the shop, and what needs to be completed at these different intervals. And you should have a system to track all this information. And it can be something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and one thing to keep in mind is if you don't have an in-house shop and you're leveraging third parties, you should vet those third parties because all third-party facilities are not made equal. Some of them provide higher level, levels of service than others. So ensure that your vehicles are going through a preventative schedule regularly and make sure you train your employees on how to identify vehicle defects. They should be doing pre- and post-trip inspections every day they're operating that vehicle to try to identify what may fail, whether they're looking at tire inflation, PSI, whether they're looking at tire tread depth, have your employees conduct pre and post trip inspections to identify something that could be a mechanical failure throughout the day. So performance monitoring, you know, what we do not track, we typically cannot fix. You can have all these great programs in place, but just because it's effective today doesn't mean it's going to be effective 
three years from now, five years from now. So you should continuously be evaluating your safety training programs, your hiring criteria, your policies and procedures. Because again, it doesn't mean it's going to be effective three years from now, five years from now. I recommend anytime there's an incident to review your training program or your policies to ensure that they're still effective. And at minimum, minimum on an annual basis, review your programs. And you can do that by one, just sitting down and running through your policies, soliciting feedback from employees because they are the subject matter experts, leveraging third parties that come in to try to help you identify gaps and help you identify how effective your programs are. We need to continuously review our programs to ensure they're effective. One of the best things out there, which I don't have a slide on, is technology. There is technology in almost every single vehicle now, whether it's GPS that tracks hard braking, uh, harsh cornering, rapid acceleration, whether it's dual vision cameras looking inside the vehicle and outside the vehicle. You know, this technology helps you monitor employee performance. So if you went through, if you place an employee through classroom training on defensive driving and you have technology now to monitor that performance, you can see, are they consistently applying what they've been taught? So if you don't have technology in your fleet, I'd encourage you to do so because it's going to help you take a proactive approach and catch those incidents before they result in accidents. And the last thing from a performance monitoring tracking standpoint is track your performance, whether it's quarter over quarter, year over year. And what I mean by that is if you're not tracking the frequency of incidents or the frequency of accidents, how do you know whether or not you're getting better year after year? So it could be something as simple as you know, number of accidents per number of units or number of accidents per 100,000 miles being operated on an annual basis. Track your performance, set goals every year, and make sure you achieve those goals by putting additional controls in place. And Nick, I will open it up for questions. As I mentioned, that was a lot of information condensed into a 20 or 30 minute time period. Yeah, no, that was great information. And actually, I've got a couple of questions come in, and I also had a few thoughts as, as you were speaking here. One of them you already kind of touched on, but we'll bring it up again. It's related to technology. Uh, what are your thoughts related to cameras and vehicle vehicles and specifically uh, trackers for speed and impact detection? Do you find those to be useful for your customers? 100%. We are big advocates of technology, and we've been subsidizing dual vision cameras for probably the past 12 or 13 years. And when we started, we were subsidizing the SD card cameras where you had to pull it. Well, as time has progressed, technology has evolved, meaning you have cellular download technology and it's artificial intelligence. And that's what we largely subsidize now, where if there's an unsafe event, you're getting that immediately and you don't have to have someone manually review it. Some of it It'll, it'll have the driver coach themselves. It'll show them what the unsafe event was and what they could have done differently. But 100%, our customers that have implemented dual vision cameras, they've seen a reduction in frequency, but also it's exonerated drivers because unfortunately, more often than not, the company is the one that's at fault because they have the deep pockets. But it's the, it's the best thing to coach people proactively. The last thing you want to do is see an employee injured. The last thing you want to do is terminate an employee. If you can identify these behaviors before an accident and coach them and make them more successful, that's what it's all about. No, and I, I'm a big advocate of this too. You know, and from a safety standpoint, it's good to know where your workers are, especially with lone drivers or lone responders to different incidents. Um, this is an easy way for us to identify them with the GPS tracking too. We can find a worker where they're at and, and know what's happening. You know, also related to uh, training, we had a question related to, you know, technology and training. What, what are your thoughts behind using 
virtual training. You know, we see simulators are becoming more and more uh, cost effective. You can build those driving simulators inside your facilities now pretty cheap. I'm using that as part of onboarding or just training exercises. What's your thoughts on that? Training has to be very holistic. One size doesn't fit all. So you shouldn't do 100% virtual. You shouldn't do 100% safety meetings. You shouldn't do 100% safety handouts. Not everyone learns the same way. So you should take a combination of training methods and apply them to your organization because some things are going to click better with individuals. So I look at it as take multiple approaches, apply it because you're going to hit a wider audience. But uh, simulators, they're great. We use them in law enforcement for defensive driving. And it really helps you understand what opportunities exist. And then uh, one last question that came in, knowing the type of work that you do as an insurance company, what would you say are the top two or three issues or concerns that you find when you're working with your customers that maybe listeners today could start identifying in their own program and start working on? I would say not consistently enforcing programs because they're, they can't afford to lose drivers. So they'll hold on to a driver longer than they should, or they're afraid to hold the driver accountable by placing them through training or take, taking some type of corrective action. So I'd say lack of consistently applying programs is one of the biggest challenges we see, but also just lack of training on an ongoing basis. You know, we have some customers that are extremely good where they place their drivers through training on a monthly or quarterly basis. Then we have some or some carriers that, you know, fail to. They say, hey, we hired someone, they have a CDL, they've got 20 years of experience, we don't need to train them. And, you know, unfortunately, as I said earlier, skill sets diminish over time. You need to continuously push information to drivers to ensure they're as safe as possible. So let's say lack of consistently enforcing things and not having the strongest training programs in place. And as I mentioned earlier, it's all about controlling your outcomes. The stronger programs you have in place, the more likely you're going to have fewer accidents and you're going to be able to control your costs. Uh, costs are continuing to rise at a rapid rate, as I mentioned earlier. So we want to prevent accidents because we don't want that loss to happen to begin with. Thank you for all this information. I mean, this has been really great and it's given us some things to think about. I know two pieces that I thought about during this is you could easily replace driver safety with forklift safety related to this program. So for our our firms out there that maybe don't even have drivers on the road, a lot of this applies right over to your forklift programs too. Making sure you have the training, make sure you're vetting people, you're having them do the competency, you're continually working with them. Um, Those forklifts are just like those vehicles, um, but they're inside your plant with more pedestrians. So I think there's a big tie there. And then uh, you had mentioned about needing to do, you know, suggesting the drug and alcohol testing for employees. For Ohio lawyers here in the great state of Ohio, we actually, through BWC, have some rebate programs that are in place to help you offset those costs. Um, if you're an employer in the state of Ohio with workers' compensation, if you do pre-employment, post-accident, reasonable suspicion testing, um, we can get you almost uh, 7% of your premiums back on your BWC premiums every year by doing that. So not only are you creating a better, safer work environment for your employees, you're also going to help keep the premiums lower, and we're going to get you some rebate money. So it all ties together really well here in the state of Ohio. Once again, Tim, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us and to do this presentation. It was great information, and we do really want to say thank you for that. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views 
expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.